Any of you ever heard the name William Moulton Marston? Famous for a couple of things. Anybody, anybody sound familiar? Inventor of Wonder Woman. Quite a brilliant guy, went to Harvard, uh, professor of psychology at Tufts University. Uh, went on to, uh, you know, it led to quite um, a distinguished career uh, as an illustrator in, in that regard as well. But um, Mr. Marston had, uh, had a problem. He was, uh, he was a compulsive liar, lived a rather duplicitous life. Uh, I only laugh because it's, um, it's almost uncomfortable to share. He, he actually, at one point in his life, he had three lovers living within his home at one time had children from um, each of them. All of them thought they had um, just your typical American nuclear family. They, um, he had his wife, they slept in the master. He had a former student uh, sleep just adjacent in the room and he had another lover in the attic. Um, one of the, and the children never quite knew this lie until uh, Mr. Marston passed, and in fact, one of his uh, lovers wrote an article in Family Circle magazine, you know, one of those good, wholesome things that would be like in that old classic, like Life magazine. She wrote a column on family. Her particular focus was on how to be a housewife and to raise children. Anything about that troubling to you? Now, here's the absolute kicker. You will not believe this, and it is entirely true. See, William Moulton Marston is not only famous for having invented Wonder Woman, he is also famous for having invented the lie detector machine. <laughs> is this not just absolutely stunning? Uh, which just proves the old playground adage, it takes one to know one, right? <laughs> And, and if I want someone to, to create a really sound um, lie detector machine, I want somebody like William Moulton Marston who knows how to lie really, really well. And there's another truth here, which is it's really easy to detect the lies in someone else, but not so easy to detect them in ourselves. Would you agree with that? And so today we're kicking off this series some might call walking his way. I prefer to call walk this way. And we're going to, well done, I think you can do better. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter four to start. And uh, look with me here just on the screen. Instead, the apostle Paul writes, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. See, we, we need this, you and I. We need this um, exhortation of sorts because we lie. Would you agree that we lie? Yeah. Did you know the stats say that we will tell um, two to three lies in the first 10 minutes of a first date. <laughs> we, on average, tell 11 lies a week. 
And it turns out we are quite prolific at our lying because we've been doing it for a long time, since, say, infancy. They have, they've done research on babies, and a baby will cry and act hungry when it's not hungry. Right? True? Truth? Right? Uh, babies get really, really good at lying at around the ages of three and four. So in that toddler stage, they call it, you know what they call it? When babies and, and toddlers learn how to lie, they call it Machiavellian intelligence. <laughs> Isn't that great? So hey, how many of you are raising toddlers right now? Okay. Do I speaketh the truth?eth Okay. Now here's the good news. Their ability to develop a lying propensity is actually a great sign of brain development. So be encouraged. If you take one thing away today, parents, in that stage, it's like your, your child is a genius, right? And, um, and it's because they have to access two different parts of their brain kind of at the, at the same time. How about this? Um, how many of you would say you are an above average driver? You're better than 50% of the other drivers out there in the world. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Ah! Stop telling lies, Paul says. Because you know what the data says? The data says when asked, 93% of people said they were better than 50% of all other drivers. Do the math on that. Do we not have an issue with lying? And so we need to just camp out for a moment on this passage, I think. There's a couple of things that I want to just highlight right away. And the first is, if we could just bring up, yep, that passage, you can just leave that up. It's just so perfect. You see right in the middle, there's no underline under it, but it says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is really, really important. As we go into a series that gives really practical advice, it's going to sound things like, don't do this and don't do that. We can quickly fall into the trap of thinking that the Bible is just a bunch of moralistic rules. Might be helpful, but the point is just to toe the line. Not true. We're here, if you notice, it says Ephesians 4. That means there have been three chapters where Paul has been doing something really, really important. You know what he's been doing? He's been telling this newly formed people in this community, in this area called Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. He's been telling them, let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you are. And here's, we see another moment. You are truly righteous. You know what righteous means? Do you think that's about moral piety? It's not. Righteous simply means right relationship. It means there's a rightness in our relationship. And that leads to a sense of holiness. That's, that's an outward expression of things being right with God, with others, even internally with me. Psychologists would call that being, being integrated. And if I just look at, at some things, I don't have it here for your screen, but I just want you to hear, as Paul is like, he's case building to say, I want to tell you who you are. I just want to keep reminding you who you are. He uses words like, well, you're holy, you're faithful, you're blameless. He goes on to say, like, you've been marked with the seal. He's been saying, like, I've chosen you since the foundations of the world began. Like, Paul over and over is saying, look, this is really important, and don't miss this. Let me, fact, let me draw this. Here's the message of Ephesians. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, who likes you, 
who's forgiven you in Christ, and we are simply, from the love of the Father, we know our names. Our identity is clear. And from a clear and a secure identity, we simply walk in the way of love. In other words, we walk this way. That's right. This is where we live our lives. This is, and it's from here that we, we love back to God. The whole point is to walk this way. When Paul says, like, uh, let the Spirit renew your thoughts, it's going in this direction where you don't have to do anything to prove who you are. You don't have to do anything to clean up your act, to be loved by God. You are, the Scriptures say, the beloved of God as sons and daughters of the King in heaven. And when that becomes super clear, then you just simply live as a response to that kind of love. Now, most religions, whether it is the five pillars of Islam, the eightfold path of enlightenment, whether it's Catholicism or Christianity or evangelicalism run amok, here's what religion says. Nope, clean up your act and maybe I'll love you and maybe I'll, be appro- you, I'll approve you. Then I'll call you blameless. Then I'll call you holy or righteous and you might just learn who you are. Religion goes this way. Making sense? That in order to get God to approve of me, I've got to jump through a bunch of hoops. I've got to toe the line so that I can know who I am. And we never measure up that way. What Paul is saying here in the whole book of Ephesians, because of what Jesus has done on your behalf by his life and his death and his resurrection, and that one day he'll return and make all things new. Like your, your future and who you are is firm and secure. So walk the way of relationship and let the Holy Spirit lead you and be firm and secure in who you are. And as a reflection, as a response, as an outflow, then live in ways that lead to life. So really, at its core, you're going to hear some real practical encouragements to live in a, in, in a different way. But I don't want you to hear it as, all right, you schmuck, clean up your act, or God won't love you. What I want and pray for us is that we'll just receive the Spirit of, the God, of God tending to you to saying, you're so loved, let's live like loved ones. You're so loved, let's live like His loved ones. And how do we walk in that way of love? I want you to look at um, this underlined part here in Ephesians 4. It's, it says, look, we're, we're parts, we're all parts of the same body. This is, this is the reason. He's like, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Why do we do that? Well, because we're a part of a community. At the end of the day, I hope, this, um, I hope this can be captured. At the end of the day, all the things in the Bible, from the Ten Commandments and everything else, I don't believe is actually about a moral code. You know what I believe it's about? It's about preserving and growing relationship as we were designed to live in relationship with God, with others, and within ourselves. And I just want to like, I, I just want to like press that point a little bit with you. So Paul gets into in four, five, and six, the chapters, he gets into some like really bad stuff. He tells us, you know, and just, just hear this, get rid of bitterness. Anybody dealt with that? 
rage, we all drive, <laughs> anger, let's go back to parenting of toddlers, right? Brawling, slander, anyone do that yet this morning? <laughs> I mean, there, there's this list. I mean, it gets a little more salacious, malice, sexual immorality. We're going to talk about that later. Greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Okay. A laundry list of a bunch of don'ts that if you're not careful, you just kind of read it without the context. You're just going to think, this is just God's name. Don't do this. You know, stuff like, no. He loves you, and he just wants you to walk in the way of his love. He loves you, and he just wants you to walk in the way of his love. Why? Because at the core of all things, relationship. What does, if we just go back through the list, what does bitterness do to relationship? What does rage do to relationship? What does anger or brawling do to relationship? What does slander do to relationship? What does sexual immorality do to relationship? What does greed do to relationship? What does murder do to relationship? You see what I mean? At the core, the greatest gift God has for you and me is intimacy of relationship with him, with one another, and even of being settled and secure within ourselves. And I would add, actually, with all creation. It always comes down to relationship. Can you just receive today in this message? Can you receive what will come next week and the following in this series? Can you just have seared in your brain we're being encouraged to walk in the way of love as his loved ones. That's what this is. You're already loved. Can we just in freedom walk the path of love from knowing who you are, chosen, beloved, forgiven, without blemish, marked by his seal of love, and live our lives accordingly. That's the encouragement. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Making sense? All right. Well, I think, it's, uh, I think it's pretty fascinating that of the laundry list that I just read, basically the first admonition Paul gives is to say, stop telling lies. Why would we do that? Well, because uh, lying can be quite chaotic within community. The actual word in the Greek that he uses, we don't like to drop Greek on you too very often, but I think this one's interesting. It's pseudos. Does that sound familiar? Like, well, it was pseudo good, or, uh, and actually there's a, for somebody that's a compulsive liar, it's called a uh, pseudological um, fantastica, is what a compulsive liar, like that's the diagnosis, is, right? So it means this near, kind of close, but not true and not accurate, and we all do this, and we do this in a variety of ways. I've just created a few categories, not scientific, just simply from experience, let me just give you a few categories that I've identified in myself, possibly in others, and let's just take a poll and see which of these connect with you. The first one, in the lying, in the pseudos way that we do, is embellisher. I am an embellisher. So if you ask me how big was the catch, it was not this, it was that, right? If you ask me how big was the numbers, how, how high did I hit the quota, all those things, I'm just going to kind of like make it a little bigger, a little grander because I want you to think more highly of me. Embellisher, that's number one. Here's number two. Okay, hopefully you're taking 
taking score here for yourself. The minimizer. A minimizer will say things like, ah, it's no big deal. Oh, it's, okay. it's, it's fine. No, we don't even need to talk about it. And yet, it's still there. You're, you're, you're just wanting to push it away. It's a form of denial. Is this making sense so far, the categories? All right. Uh, let's talk about the withholder. I'm going to give you 80% of the truth, and it will be 80% truthful, but there's another 20%, 10%, maybe 2%. I'm just going to withhold. And I got to tell you, that always gets us in trouble. I, I remember I got, I got in this thing. It was a dumb thing. And it was initially innocent. I'm not even going to give you the details. But I made a decision to not fully disclose the rest of the details because in my mind, I'm like, that's only going to complicate things. Well, guess what happened? The remaining 20% was already within the uh, possession of the other person. And because I didn't fully disclose, because I was a withholder in that moment, all of a sudden, my integrity was questioned, and rightly so. Compartmentalizer. Compartmentalizer is one who uh, lives one way here and a different way there, and the, the truth is not the same in both places. People's experience of you, whether it's here at church, is different than on the job or at, at home, and there's this kind of, I have different compartments for the ways in which I live. Uh, let's talk about the optimist. The optimist is just, you just so deeply want it to be true, Right? And so there's an aspirational nature to your thinking where you're speaking as if it is true because you want it to be true. Is it true? Well, the excuser. The excuser is someone that really struggles with owning the truth, particularly for themselves. They struggle to take ownership of those things, right? And, uh, and, and maybe the mistakes or whatever, it's a little bit of being defensive, it's a little bit of couching. I, um, I, I, I run a consulting team. We had a team all day session on Friday and we did an exercise, basically a SWAT exercise. What's working, what's broken about our team? And, and um, it's hard to take truth because every comment I want to say, oh, well, that's because, oh, well, what you don't know is, oh, that's really silly. I'm going to have to talk to that guy later because he didn't know what he said. You know, it's like all those things rise up because I want to make excuses for things. Okay, here's our list. Uh, if I were to rank myself, um, I'm a number one embellisher. Uh, I'm a number two withholder. I'm a, a number three optimist with a strong excuser for. Okay, I'm good at them all. How about you? Who, who would say not your number one thing is you're an embellisher? Just show a hand. Oh, by the way, we're all, we're all on the hook here. Okay, thank you. Loud and proud. Very good. Notice the hands are just a little lower. It's all right. We're all here. We're all here. Uh, how many of you are just like, you're a minimizer? You just, you don't, conflict avoidant. All right, loud and proud. Really good. Um, Got to be looking up here. Minimizers up here. All right. All right, uh, and online you can throw this in the chat as well. We want full <laughs> participation out of you. Okay, uh, the withholder. How many withholders in the entire room? Okay, withholders. Uh, compartmentalizers. Get a little here, a little there. All right. 
How many are optimists with the truth? You just want it to be true. Sometimes get confused, is it? I don't know, hope so. Excusers, how many excusers? Yeah, get a little defensive, all right. How many of you, you're just like, I refuse to be categorized in this moment and I'm not playing your game, Dan? <laughs> what category did I miss? I'm not sure I saw a hand for, for everyone. Did you know, we've, we've shared this a couple times, but when asked, this was a Harvard Business Review, when asked, are you a self-aware person, 95% of people said, yes, I am. And the reality in the research is somewhere between only 10 to 15% would be categorized as self-aware. Is that not a gap? So the best way to receive a talk, however imperfectly I'm offering it or anyone else, the best way to receive any form of equipping or training is to start with, I know I have broccoli in my teeth. Where is it? Would you kindly show me uh, in love so that I can walk this way? We're losing steam. We're losing, we are losing steam. Why do we lie in all these various ways? Why do we do it? Number one, because there is a source to our lies. There's a source. Like at the very beginning of time, as it's so beautifully but painfully and poignantly told in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, it says that the enemy of God, namely Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes up and he introduces the first question mark, the first lie about the character of who God is. Did God really say that you will die if you eat from this? Is, does, does God really, see, here's what God, God just doesn't want you to be like him. And he introduces this lie, which led to, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, it led to four things, blame, shame, hiding, and fear. Blame, shame, hiding, and fear. So when the great rebellion occurred, sin enters into the world and then God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he notices now everything's different. Adam and Eve had, had it, eaten from the forbidden fruit, and now they're hiding from it, and all this stuff. He's like, what happened? Blame, well, it's this woman you gave me, says Adam, right? Shame, we're like, well, we realized we were naked. Hiding, so they, they hid themselves, and they, they literally tried to hide from God. And fear, they said, well, we were afraid. This shows up in every single relationship today. Blame, shame, hiding, and fear. And it comes from what Jesus calls the father of lies. Look, look with me here at what Jesus would say about this. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, we're talking about the enemy of God. We're talking about Satan. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And you know how he's really good at lying? He's so good at lying. Because he takes, um, he's kind of like the withholder. He does all those things, embellishing and all that. But, but I think one of his best moves is to give you just enough truth for it to be plausible. And he'll say, it's this, it's this, this, and that. You should, you should do it. And, and we're tempted in those ways. And then when you do it, he goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. That's horrible. How could you do such a thing? You ever experienced that in your own kind of conscience? You know, this like, oh, do it, do it, do it. Ah, 
I can't believe you did it. That's, that's how he works. He's the father of lies. He brings in the blame, the shame, the hiding, the fear. The second thing is, um, why do we lie? Uh, because our identities are not secure. We feel like we have to, to be approved, to be liked, to be well received. It's this story. That if I'm going this way, with all my blame, with all my shame, with all my hiding, with all my fear, and I'm like, well, okay, what, jumps, uh, what hoops do I need to jump through in order to either make God happy, or maybe it's not even God. Maybe it's a boyfriend, maybe it's a girlfriend, maybe it's still your earthly dad. Maybe it's the fact that you just think it's, it's status, it's riches. I, I don't know what it is, but if I go this way and I'm going something, if I just do the right things, it will tell me that I'm right in who I am, that I'm firm, that I'm secure. And uh, we'll keep lying because we're not settled within ourselves. Conversely, when you know who you are, well, you can even be wrong and be okay. When you know that you are just loved by the Father, you're His loved one, then you can walk in the way of love and be okay when you don't. And you could be just okay with the truth as it is. No more jockeying, no more pretending, no more false self, no more imposter syndrome. Why else do we lie? Just one more observation. Because it works. Just works. Did it work for William Moulton Marston? Until it didn't. And that's the truth about it. It works until it doesn't. It catches up. It does a lot of things. In fact, if we think about relationship, if I can, I tried this last time. I meant to practice this because there's something really cool about the, oh, let's see. Hold on. Okay, that worked. I want to just talk about the difference between when I'm dishonest and when I'm honest. In all of my embellishing and compartmentalizing and withholding ways, and the impact on all my relationships starting with me starting me with others with God and then if you add all of this up actually within my community When I'm dishonest with myself, we already described it, I'm, I'm actually insecure. I can't allow honesty to take hold in my life for fear of what I'll lose, for fear of how I'll be exposed. But when I just bring things into light, when I can just be honest and authentic with myself, well, there's just a freedom of just going, it's who I am. It's like the day I've finally buzzed my head. I started losing my hair in the eighth grade. 
Thank you for laughing because I'm okay with it now. <laughs> and it wasn't until um, like, I don't know, two weeks after I graduated college that I finally buzzed it off. And between the eighth grade and that moment of buzzing it off, it was like hair management plan. It was like cover this part, but at the, at the expense of that. I mean, it was exhausting. And that's all I'm going to say, but I had tricks. I had all sorts of compensations. I had all sorts of uh, uh, pseudological, fantastica ways of trying to do the hair management plan. But man, when Paco buzzed my head clean, oh, there was a freedom there. There was no more hiding. I think it's that way a bit with just simply bringing the truth into light. What about with others? What happens when we begin lying? Well, it creates isolation. Can you see that? It pushes others away. But when I choose to be honest with with another person, even if it feels just super vulnerable, David Brooks has a great definition for vulnerability. He says, vulnerability, real vulnerability, is when you say something and you feel like, oh, maybe I said too much. I wish I could have taken it back. That's actually vulnerability. Now, there is such a thing as saying too much to the wrong person at the wrong time, all that stuff. But typically, when it's really vulnerable, you feel like you just put yourself out there and you're not sure you're going to be caught. But the beautiful thing is, when it's with a trusted person, oh my gosh, it leads to intimacy. Uh, in working with uh, guys and, um, you know, leaders and things like that, um, n- not to be mutually exclusive or you know, work with female leaders too, but with guys, um, I often will challenge them to a vulnerability challenge to say, hey, let's tell our spouses one vulnerable thing a day. And they go about ghost white. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean by vulnerable? I go, I don't know. But what I do know is your wife doesn't need you to solve her problems. And she doesn't need you to solve your own problems in isolation. What she wants most is to be close. She wants to be with you in your problems and in in hers. And we have it kind of backwards. Community, or excuse me, God. When, when we can't be honest and we're dishonest, that's where shame really lives and festers. What is shame? You've probably heard it. Shame is not I did a bad thing. Shame is I am a bad thing. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell, friends. Straight from the pit of hell. You are the beloved son and daughter of the king in the heavens. He loves you and he chose you since before the foundations of the world began. There is no condemnation, the scriptures say. There is no shame that Jesus on the cross, he bore and despised the shame. He took it on himself so you could be free. And when we're honest with God, with it all, because he is the safest place, then we just experience this incredible grace. It's just like these fresh winds that blow all the smog out. And you realize, I don't have to go the wrong way around that triangle. I can just receive. 
I can just let the Spirit renew my thoughts and my mind and say, I'm okay because I'm a loved one and nothing's at risk. I got um, fired by a client three weeks ago by voicemail. It was really fun. And, uh, and it was just one of those moments I'm kind of popping back up to this insecure freedom thing. It was in that, in that moment where I didn't see it coming. It was just like, and by the way, good news, he's back online and we're working together, but we had to work through some stuff. But in that moment of receiving a voicemail firing, I just had to literally say out loud, Lord, nothing's at risk here and nothing's at threat. I am yours. And that doesn't change. That's the power of knowing who you are and whose you are. Lastly, community. Do you think dishonesty has an impact, a ripple effect on a wider circle? If you just kind of say, well, within me, if, I, if I'm not, and with others, and then compound that by multiple relationships, and then with God, what, what happens here? And I, I just don't know of a better word than actual chaos. We're living in a society where no one knows what's true anymore. Do you feel it? You feel the chaos? And what God wants for us, what he wants for our relationships, what he wants for Shoal Creek Community Church, what he wants for America, what he wants for his world, is he wants, and it's just a beautiful word, he wants shalom. And, the, and it's, it's translated peace. Shalom is not just like, ooh, I, I have inner peace today, I'm happy. Shalom is this full circumference of all relationship between us and God, between us and others and community and in society and with all creation and even within ourselves. It's a comprehensive, holistic, mind, body, soul, spirit, peace. And we need it so desperately. You know, um, Paul, when he says, stop telling lies, this passage is ac actually echoing from um, kind of the first part of the Bible. It's often called the Old Testament, from a prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah is speaking to a people who have just been in total chaos. They've been plucked from their homes and from their lands. They've been taken into exile. They've seen atrocities. They are uh, they've seen genocide, they're, they're refugees. But now Zechariah is starting to, to, to say, but God's gonna call you home back to your land. And he calls them to this really beautiful message. Look at this with me, it says this. Well, this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. And Paul, in, in Ephesians, he's, he's kind of echoing this passage. A different translation, which is more literal, I want you to see this, how the last line changes. So we're to tell each other the truth, we're to have justice in our courts, 
for peace in your gates. I love that. Because villages in that day and, and cities, they were fortified by walls and they had gate, gate points of entry. And it was this, this image of will truth live within, inside the walls? Will you keep it within the gates? And if dishonesty comes inside, what's going to happen inside the walls? What would it look like to have shalom, to have peace within your gates? I want you to think about the gates of your life. I want you to think about the gates of your community. I want you to think about the gates of your home and your relationship. And how do we have that shalom? How do we have that sense of peace? And Paul says, um, because you're the loved ones of God, walk in the way of love. And so stop telling lies. Stop the chaos. And where does it start? Y'all, we can point to social media. We can point to the political process. We can point to all that. Let's start with just going, okay, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to risk here. So let's just start first with me. God, where am I bringing chaos inside the gates? And I want you to just sit with that for a moment. Where do you bring falsehood and dishonesty? This is not to expose you. This is actually for us to be free, to live in the light, to experience His grace. If there's a moment, maybe it's at work, if there's a moment with the person that you love and you just know you've been withholding something or you know you've given the partial truth, not the whole truth, or you just, you just know that you're living this way but not this, the same exact way here. It's time to be free. to bring it into the light so that there can be peace within your gates. We were circling up and, uh, before you all arrived as a team and um, Rachel happened to just share, she goes, hey, here, here's the song we're about to sing. It's a beautiful song, by the way. And as I've been reflecting, she said on honesty and dishonesty, she began to just share her own personal journey with some of these things. And Rachel, about, I don't know, 43 minutes ago, I pulled you aside and said, hey, could I just hear at, at the close and before you sing this song, would you be willing just to share a little bit of, of what you offered about your journey in this way? Well, asking me to speak before I sing is a dangerous thing. <laughs> I will do it. Um, yeah, the lyrics of the, the chorus are, tell me the truth even if it hurts, even if it's ugly. Uh, tell me the truth without the self-protection. And I just, it just started reflecting on the times in my life where someone has served up some truth my way and it's um, been really hard to hear, but it's been a gift. Um, and I, you know, I've been in this community for 20 years and some of the authenticity and the ways that people told me the truth about how I came across or about some of the struggles in my own life um, 
really started to soften some of my edges, I hope, over the years, um, and were a gift to me um, moving forward and in my spiritual journey. Um, and I think that I started to, I started to gravitate towards truth tellers in my life hmm. because I, I want to know those things. It's hard to hear, and it's, it's not my preferred method of communication. I'm not a super direct, uh, I'm fairly conflict averse. Um, but I, if you have met my husband, um, you know that he's a truth teller, he's very direct. He's an Enneagram 8, for those of you who are familiar with that. So he, he wants challenge, he wants truth. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that drew me to him was that he told me the truth, even when it hurt, even when it was not pretty, um, but it was what I needed to hear. And um, that was initially what attracted me to him. And I've definitely had moments of regret in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, because living with a truth teller is hard, but it yeah. is a gift. And um, I think, I, in particular, in my journey with anxiety, I realized that you know anxieties are built on worst case scenarios, on what ifs, mm. on um, assumptions about what people might be thinking or feeling about you, about what may or may not happen, right? They're not based on truth. And there have been so many times in my life where he has pushed me to say, what's the truth? You know, you're mm. not telling yourself the truth. or Not always what I wanted to hear, but has told me the truth in those moments. And I think mm. that that's part of what has helped set me free in my life. And so just as I was singing this today, I just really feel like this is... I believe this, you know, I'd rather know mm. the truth. I'd rather face the truth um, than just know, just hear what I want to hear. It yeah. makes me happy. Um, and I was sharing with the team that one thing that's highlighted that for me is, you know, we've been, we've been away for 13 months and I don't have those people in my life in Tulsa. And so um, just what a gift it is to, to do life with people who know you well enough to tell you the truth and how hard it has been to not have those people. And so mm. we find ourselves seeking, seeking out those relationships there, people that are truth tellers. And mm. Rachel, thank you mm -hmm. for offering that. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll receive this song over us. So Father, We're just picturing our gates right now. I'm personally thinking about my three daughters and my wife and thinking about situations in our extended family. I'm thinking about the moments of chaos inside our gates. And we need your shalom, oh God. We need your truth, the spirit of truth, the one who renews our thoughts and our attitudes. Would you help us connect that our ability to love is commensurate with our ability to be honest. Show us, oh God, where we can bring more into the light and experience more of your freedom, intimacy, grace, 
and shalom. What are you going to do? Let's be a people who don't leave here unchanged. That's the point, right? And so what's one thing that you're going to take from today and you're going to move it literally into your life? One thing you're going to do.